Let's head over to text messages and going all the way back to the story that you shared, uh, Lawson, in relationship to New Orleans. What a great idea. Mm. But I remember, but remember, it is God and his four angels that are holding back the winds of strife. Soon they oh, will wow. let go. No man-made structure will help them. Let's make God our fortress. Yeah, dude, when, when the islands get leveled and the, the mountains yes. fall into the sea, then I don't think the... The, le- the levy bank is not going to stand know, up to that. Yeah, $14.5 billion worth of levy is going to probably struggle in those circumstances. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. But those who are hiding under the shadow of the mighty... Yes will be saved. Amen. Okay, alcohol is a poison. It might taste good, just like sin, but sooner or later it will kill you. Our bodies are the temple of God. Don't think Jesus went to the publicans to join them for an alcoholic drink. He went to save them by giving them a new heart. Wow. (laughs) Powerful. Mm. If you have a problem with alcohol, go to Jesus. He is God of miracles. Mm. And he certainly is. Great uh, great text message right there and great sentiment. Okay, this one here from Freco. In my younger years, I managed pubs, ran nightclubs. So here's a guy who speaks with a bit of experience behind mm. him. Um, I have seen the pain and hurt, too much drinking, and the ripple effect on partners and friends. It is wow. cruel. So it is cruel. Here's the word, it's cruel. Yeah. I agree with him. I totally agree with him. These guys are uh, trading in death. They're, they're peddling death. Like I have no sympathy. If you can, if you can, if you can, if you can run a business that sees that much pain and creates that much pain with a clear conscience, then that's a major problem, dude. I so you know, for me, I most of my family is not Christian. Um, you know, they don't share the same convictions that I do, particularly on alcohol. Alcohol was a big struggle that I had that I came out of. Thank you, thankfully, to my conversion and to God helping me and you know the church community and everything. Um, and my family is like in in terms of you know how my individual family members are doing like, you know, my sisters are at uni or working good jobs. My dad works a good job. My mom is living her best life traveling around Australia. Like she's killing it. She's like, you know, in the Kimberleys and in this place and that place, the other place. Uh, But like my family is relatively well off, but I can honestly see, you know, we've had our problems. My parents have split up all those things. Like alcohol is one of the leading contributing factors to literally in my family, like every relationship fall through that my sisters have had every struggle like you know at least relationally and socially that my family has had 100 percent. one of the biggest contributing factors is alcohol mm. like and so i can fully sympathize with what freco is saying because you can just see it so clearly and easily it's so it's tough mm. afghanistan so what have the americans done for the last 20 years no churches, trillions of dollars spent, thousands of American soldiers died so that they could free a nation that hates Jesus and still does. <laughs> wow. It seems it was nothing more than a political war as usual. No taking away anything from the soldiers that sacrificed their lives. Mm. Yes. Um, praise God for the faithful Christians who are putting their lives on the line for the gospel. You know, I'm going to just stop right there for a moment. I don't think there are any Laodicean Christians in Afghanistan. <sighs> yeah. I just don't. How think can are, you be? I, they're just yeah, yeah, exactly. How can you be a comfortable Christian in Afghanistan when you're literally running door to door and getting chased for your life? Like, how is that comfortable? Wow. I don't think that. I think. <laughs> I, and if you want the cure for Laodicean church, Afghanistan is the cure. <laughs> if yeah, you're feeling Laodicean as Christian, go to Afghanistan. <laughs> oh, China, Pakistan, like yeah, any one of those countries, even like countries that aren't where Christianity isn't directly persecuted, but it's just difficult. You need to rely on God. The time will come 
when true Christians will be searched out from house to house as the Christians in Afghanistan. Mm. In Australia, it will probably start with the unvaccinated. That's that's a long shot. Come on. <laughs> Come on. That's tough. That's Having said that, there's been a few things that I've said were a long shot lately and then they actually happened, so yeah. you never know. In the near future, I pray not, but that looks like a natural progression. It's certainly uh, the, the unvaccinated have certainly been singled out yeah. for persecution. Yeah. Uh, this is, this coercion. Is, this is any unvaccinated person, like Christian. Yeah, Christian. Non- it's not. It's yeah. not. It's not. They're not. It's not. It's not religious. I know. I know. I know. So many. So many. You know, completely secular people that are totally. Um, yeah. Anti-vax for a whole bunch of yeah, different reasons. Yeah, that's right. Dude, also, oh, we haven't been able to talk about this because we've just been inundated with crazy things happening around the world. But um, you know, the recent legislation that got put through. I, I showed you this last week. The re- recent legislation that got put through. Um, for surveillance in Australia, where the government is now allowed to add, copy, and replace or delete anything in your social media, provided that they get a warrant, but they can go in and do that before the warrant is approved. It's pretty wild. So, like, this is this is, and this is the yeah. kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff that the government runs through while we're all focused on the vaccination issue. Yeah, that's right. As uh, well, our local member here in Newcastle have been like, wait. Parliament hasn't sat. Like, how are they putting laws through? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, definitely creating a precedent there. When it, when it, when the, literally the police can just go, why would you need to add, delete anything from someone's social media if you're trying to incriminate them? Or like, like if you're trying to build a case for their, you know, incrimination or innocence, why do you need to add or delete? That's, that's my, they can just, yeah. So basically what we're seeing here is precedents growing, you know, that eventually the world, as the Bible says, you know, they'll be offended because of you, they'll hate you, and they will persecute you. And we've seen some very rapid movements in the in, and, and very rapid changes as far as, you know, freedom of conscience and freedom of uh, and, and religious liberty. Mm. And what I'm starting to see and what I'm starting to learn is the difference between those two terms. I think they're two very different terms that we need to understand very clearly the difference between them and the importance of both of them. And I put up a post about this on social media. Uh, I think it was on Friday, and it's the first time I've ever put anything up that's gone mildly viral. Yeah. I'm up to like 60 shares so far, which is a bit of a record for me. And uh, But, yeah, I'd encourage you to head over to uh, my personal Facebook page and have a, have a look, check it out. Mm. Um, it's all in relationship to freedom of conscience and the vaccine issue. Mm. Um, where I address some of these some of these issues. I don't know how many comments it's got up to. I haven't actually checked this morning, but it's, just, it's definitely the most viral thing I've ever uh, I've ever posted by a very very long shot. Let me just head over there real quick and have a look. No, I'm not, I haven't got a connect. Computer's not. Well, I just want to let you know it's actually sad. It's actually sad. I know it's sad, but it's no 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 not you. No, your content is so fantastic, and I think it deserves to be shared. Okay. And how many how many shares has it got? Like sixty Yeah, that's like I usually get like two. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. But unfortunately, at the start of this year I put up a meme about how difficult uni is um during COVID in a uni Facebook page and I got like twelve thousand likes and four hundred shares. So, oh, so so Lyle, I'm sorry. It seems like I need to make a meme. You need to you need to put this in meme format so that it can be shared. Oh, uh, that's that I did I mean, that's a commentary on our world, though, isn't it? And it was even about COVID-19, too. You know, you, you take super <laughs> lame stuff 
and it's just funny and it's just, <laughs> you know, kind of meaningless. <laughs> and it goes like wildfire. Yeah, sorry, dude. <laughs> Can you share my post? Maybe I'll get some yeah. traction on your page. Because <laughs> my page is... No, well, obviously, this was boosted through through uni, like a uni meme group that has like hundreds of thousands of people in it, but like, you know. Well, just, just, <laughs> just share it on share there. Share it on there for me. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, I get, get approved by the mods. Get thing going. Yeah. Interesting times that we live in. Uh, very rapid movements taking place right around us right now. will be interesting to see where it progresses. I had an interesting conversation about this. I'm going to come back in just a moment and talk about it. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Yeah, so this was um, something that you know I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine on the weekend, and you know the big, the three big events, the three big life changing or world changing, I should say, the three big world changing events that um, have existed in my lifetime mm. has been uh, first of all the end of the Cold War. Yep. Uh, then secondly, nine eleven. Mm-hmm. And now, 20 years later, the COVID pandemic. And within each one of those events, very significant moves were made towards the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Yeah. And what happens is you get this big event, a whole bunch of movements are made, a whole bunch of freedoms are taken away, you know, a whole bunch of infrastructure is put in place that would enable the enforcement of the mark of the beast to be easier. Mm. And then it all comes down for 20 years. Mm. And then 20 years later, there's another big thing comes along. You, know, you had 9-11 and you had a whole bunch of stuff. Wow, it's there. literally 20 years apart. We had, sorry, the, the, you had the, the uh, yeah, that is, isn't it? They're, they're all, because they're, the USSR fell in the 80s, right? Well, it depends because it was a process. Yeah. You know, it's basically, it's 20 years. Yeah, I never thought about that. To, to 9/11 Twenty years from then. the from the fall of the from the end of the Cold War to nine eleven mm-hmm. to the pandemic. Yeah, but what you have is you have all of this infrastructure that is put in place, all of these precedents that are made, all of this legislation that is passed that does not affect us in the present, but sits there, kind of like a landmine, mm. waiting for the or a time bomb waiting for the appropriate time for it to actually go off. Mm. All of this legislation, all of these precedents are never repealed. Yeah. They just remain there. Mm. The question is what happens after the pandemic? <clears throat> yeah, that's is, right. is, is it all going to go back to normal for another 20 years? Mm. Or is it going to, is, you know, sooner or later we're going to have one of these world-changing events where it doesn't go back to normal, mm. where it, just continues rolling. The thing, the thing that's got me a little bit worried, and you know, you could some some people could say it's justifiable, but like the whole incentivizing, you know, calling people out in Australia by like you get paid if you give the police information of people breaching lockdown. Yes, and when the bar, like yeah, obviously, there's always been rewards for calling out people's crimes, but. Previously, yeah, it but was usually like, it's like you know, extortion, Australia's, Australia's child. most wanted. Yeah, you that's get, right. That's you know, right. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars if you can find them, kind of thing. Whereas the bar has been set so low by this that, like, you know, with the bar being, oh, you're breaching lockdown, like, then you're getting you're getting paid to call people out. Um, which is like, don't. It's not good that you is breach that lockdown. Happening? Sorry, is that actually the thing? Is it? Yeah, like yes, like you get paid. I think it's like a couple hundred bucks, like 500 bucks. Can I dub you in? 
Yeah. Jim, you can run an extortion movement. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I did not say that on air. <laughs> I'll W and you dub me in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get like $500 from the government and then $11,000 yeah. each in fines. <laughs> but, um, no, but essentially, like, okay, so this is the thing, though, is that you've incentivized turning against your neighbor um, for doing the wrong thing. But again, the bar is so low to the point where it's, you know, it's in encroaching on what some people would consider as freedom of conscience and freedom of, you know, where this wasn't a previously like a, a, a law, like, and, and there's very specific circumstances where this is like in a couple months, if we hit the vaccination targets and everyone's let outside and blah, 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 like this laws won't exist anymore. So how long until it's like, there's some, you know, event or something that happened. Yeah, that the, precedence, the, precedence. the precedence yeah. sits there. Yeah, precedent doesn't go away. That's right, and that's yeah. you know that's what worries me. And it, it circles back to what you've you said know, about you, yep. legislation gets made; it's it's dormant until something. The next we need thing to get happens. To our Bible study. That's right. We're, we're distracted. Oh, we're just... how, how do we get distracted again? We always do this. <laughs> Let's go to reading the story of one of the most successful evangelists of all time. Oh, is it, um, you're gonna say Jonah? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Classic. Yeah. So, your two most successful evangelists in the Bible is Noah and Jonah. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? Noah? You mean the most unsuccessful? No, no, the most successful. Why? Because <laughs> he saved the entire human race that was left? I guess you could look at it that way. I wasn't looking at it that way. How How can you say he's the most successful? Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and I will show you how Noah was the most successful evangelist who ever lived. Uh-huh. Matthew chapter 24, and let's read what the Bible says in... Verse 14. In uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, the Bible says, And the good news of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so all that all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Have you ever been able to achieve that? No. You've never been able to achieve preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single person on the planet? No, not me personally. Was Noah able to achieve that? <laughs> yeah. Therefore, he is far more successful than you are, yeah. even though you have more converts than Noah. Okay. Fair enough. You see, the work of an evangelist is to preach the gospel. Mm. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convert somebody. Mm-hmm. The most successful evangelist is not the one who has the most baptisms, but who has the reached the most people. Mm. You see, Noah brought the whole world to the point of decision. An evangelist's success is measured by the number of people he brings to decision. Yeah, well. Not by the number of people who make the correct decision. Wow. That's such a good point. So therefore, Noah is the most successful evangelist who ever lived, and Jonah is the second most successful because he is the evangelist with the most converts. Yeah. And when I say the most converts, you know, we could we could look at uh, you know, um, Obviously, Jesus is the most successful of them. I, I, I get that, but he's you know out of out of non divine human beings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The rest of us, yes. And measuring the number of converts mm. on a per capita basis. So on a you know how many people did you win to the Lord per day? Mm. S- find me anyone who beats Jonah. Mm. I don't know. Some of those Nigerian guys—they're pretty successful. They don't, they don't come close. They don't, they don't count. <laughs> they, 
they don't, they don't come close to Jonah. And they're just successful because they're preaching prosperity gospel. Jonah was not preaching the prosperity gospel. He was preaching kind of the opposite of that. He's like, if you don't repent, you'll die. Okay, so let's start in uh, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. It'd be kind of exciting to have God come to you and call you to be an evangelist and to send you to a foreign city and to uh, be kind of like, well, you know, you're going to go there and you're going to have, uh, you're going to preach the word of God. So, um, Lawson, if you had God directly speak to you in the middle of the night, let's say, he turns uh-huh. up and he's visibly there, or maybe the middle of the day, I don't know, but God directly speaks to you and commissions you to go to a foreign city to be an evangelist, how would that make you feel? Oh, it'd be pretty good. You see, and like, the, and, and the foreign and the foreign city was Kabul. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you just have to send it, right? You just, yeah, like, <laughs> you just send it. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, the same, same, same mentality as you know, just. They, who cares at that point? You, if if someone like was if God showed up and was like, go to Kabul. It's like, well, I'm not living a very long life. <laughs> like, good thing I didn't get married. <laughs> like, and it seems that Jonah may have been a uh, a single person as well. But let's start reading in verse one because he gets sent to Kabul. Okay, so right here. I mean, Nineveh. Nineveh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we we understood. We did. All right. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, some son of uh, Amittai. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So you're going to get away from God. You know, you're going to get so far away that God is not there anymore. You're going to going to get away from your conscience. Yeah. You're going to escape your conscience. You know, this is such a such a classic story right here. And you can almost see Jonah's like, well, if I go the opposite direction, like if I get as far away as from possible, then maybe God will get the message that I'm not interested in this and God will leave me alone. Dude, it's so crazy. When you read Tarshish, it's like, oh, what, that's on the other side of the Red Sea? No, he wants to go to the edge of the known world. Like Tarshish yeah, is in Spain. That's right. <laughs> And it's on the if it's on the Atlantic side of Spain. Yeah, it's not it's not on the Mediterranean side. Yeah, that's right. This it's just the, about like in Portugal. Like, dude, this guy is running big time. Yeah. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Darren has texted through to point out how many downs there are in the introduction to Jonah. Oh, so he goes down to Joppa. He goes down to the dock. He goes down to the hold of the boat. He goes uh, down into the ocean when he gets thrown overboard. Mm-hmm. He goes down into the stomach of the whale. And then he goes down to the bottoms of the mountains. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of downs. Oh, yeah. And this is one of the things when you walk away from God and you reject God's calling, you go down, 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 mm. like Jonah did, and that's never going to be a positive thing. And, and it's interesting, you know, because when you look at those people that fight against God, and it, really this is what Jonah is doing in this passage, he's fighting against God. And typically, this is what I see. This is, this is my observation. This is my anecdotal observation, is that the only people who are out there fighting against God are people who used to follow God. Mm. Because they're the only ones who really care. Because their conscience is fighting them, and because their fight, their conscience is fighting them, they have a need to shut their conscience up. Yeah, 
And in an effort to quieten that conscience, they will double down again and again and again and fight harder and harder and harder. And they are the ones who will engage with you on social media. They are the ones who will fight against you on social media. They are the ones who will try and prove you wrong because they care. Mm. Your average atheist out there just simply doesn't care. Yeah, that's right. They're not interested. They're not going to have that discussion. They're not going to have that debate because they don't care. They just, you know, they've got better things to do with their life. It's those whose conscience is plaguing them that care. I wouldn't even say it's the atheists. I think usually the atheists are the ones who care, like because they've had that previous experience that's what I'm with saying. religion. Exactly. Um, I'm, I'm saying the atheists who have never had that previous experience. Yeah, I would. Had- well, usually those people wouldn't even call themselves atheists. They would just be like agnostic, indifferent. They have. They don't care. I, yeah. I know that I was definitely in that place. I had no care about Christianity or whatever. So there was. I, I wouldn't have put any of those labels on me. But yeah, when people are like, usually when people are like devout atheists, you know, it's because of some previous religious experience of being called by God but they're making that decision to step away. And it's, well, you see what's going on with Jonah here. He's like, he knows God is real. He's a prophet, bro. Absolutely, absolutely. And so what I see is, is as you say, those people who were once followers of God, they're the ones who fight the hardest mm. because they are the ones who are under the deepest conviction. Yeah. And the other thing that I find also is that when it comes to fighting against religion, have you noticed that all of your books that are out there attacking religion, Mm. All of the apologetic books that are trying to prove religion wrong, they're all going after Christianity. Yeah. You don't find them going after Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam. Mm. You find them going after Christianity. Yeah, I've never read a book. You know, I've never seen, you know, the Islam delusion or, no. or you know, whatever it is. Like, it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> and you read The God Delusion, it's not targeting Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. Yeah. It's targeting Christianity. Yeah, and isn't that interesting? Because, for, you know, for um, Richard Dawkins, like, he has so much reason to lampoon those other religions as well because of terrible things that go on. Oh, it? yeah, absolutely. But he's like, not like strictly Christianity he wants to go after. Yeah, you want to take uh, Hinduism apart? They've got some really nasty gods. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, and practices and uh-huh. people uh-huh. and, like, all the all of those religions, like, 100%. And also, you know, we can't deny that that exists in Christianity as well. All of these authors cannot get Christianity out of their mind That's while right. Write. That's right. That's the one difference. Like It is. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, let's go... Back to the story of the world's most, uh, second most uh, successful evangelist. Mm. He has been sent to Kabul. <laughs> Nineveh. Nineveh. I think Kabul is going a bit, because Nineveh was like a capital city. Like it was, Kabul is a capital city. It, fair enough. Mm-hmm. But we, we assume that like during this time, okay, like, N- the Assyrians were like who, Nineveh. They, they, were, they were a nation of terrorists. Yeah. But they were like... Which makes been... them significantly worse than Afghanistan right now. Okay. Because you have a bunch of terrorists in Afghanistan, but not everybody in Afghanistan is a terrorist. Okay. Whereas terrorism was the national policy of the Assyrians. Oh, wow. Yeah, The Assyrians yeah. were the dominant world empire at this particular time, and they ruled their empire through unadulterated, uh, just plain straight-out terror. Mm. They and, and they published it. Very, very loudly. You'll find that the Taliban are a little bit reticent to publish uh, their terrorism. Mm. They're not 
running big TV programs about how they are terrorising Christians and terrorising the world and bragging about it and publishing it in the world's media and holding it out there as much as they possibly can. The Assyrians, on the other hand, they were using the world's media to publish their terrorism and their atrocities as loudly as they possibly Mm. could. They were going right throughout the world. Wherever they reigned and ruled and had power, they were building massive stone billboards called reliefs on which they would carve pictures of the most horrific acts you can even begin to imagine being perpetrated on people. Wow. And we know this because they're carved in stone and we can go and see it today. Yeah. You, know, you can see people being unpiled on stakes and having their hands cut off and having their feet cut off and having their noses cut off and having their ears cut off and having their breasts cut off and you know all of this kind oh of my stuff. Word. You can you can see you can see the reliefs where you know they've skinned people alive and you know piled up you know huge piles of bodies and, and hung skins on the city walls and you know this is the kind of thing that they were that they were publishing it out there on the, on on the media on on TV mm. TV at the time the big screen yeah the screen of course was made out of stone yeah. but <laughs> that's right the big rock that's right mm. this is this was Assyria mm. and uh, this is the nation that Jonah is sent as a prophet to mm. I can understand his reticence. If I was some, if I was Jonah and God came to me and appeared to me and had a conversation with me, I would be really excited. And God came and said, I have a special calling for you. I'm excited. I'm going to send you a foreign city. That sounds like an adventure. You're going to Kabul. Nope. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's going to say Let me find Madrid. a mission call to Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, that's Instead. Instead. Yeah, that, wow. So Jonah decides his calling is Tarshish, not Nineveh. Mm. And uh, where did we get up to in that? We got up to verse 3. We only got started. Uh, But now we got verse 4. It says, But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to the gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. Yeah, Wow. (laughs) Um, You kind of wonder how that was even possible, but nevertheless, that was the case. He was was sound asleep and out to it, and the sailors come and ask him to pray to his God as well. We're going to take up this story. We're going to study this story all week. He is the Mm. restless prophet, and we're going to find out how to find rest by looking at a restless person. It is one of the best stories in the Bible. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. So, but right now it is time for it's time for something. Time. There it comes. Question of the day. We got people on the phone holding this up. All right, question of the day is Lyle. The question's yes. been asked: Who is the man of lawlessness from Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse three? The Bible says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day that's the return of Christ will not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who exalts, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God." So you've got three main identifying characteristics when you work your way down through this particular passage here. The first is that this person is called the son of perdition. The second is that they blaspheme God by calling themselves God, by taking that title on themselves. And the third thing is that they sit in the temple of 
God. Mm. Well, what does it mean to sit in the temple of God? Clearly there is no temple of God on earth, and even if there was a temple of God on earth right now, it would not be a legitimate temple of God. Mm. So what does that actually mean? Well, we go to, uh, let me see here, First Peter chapter 2, and there are actually a whole bunch of these uh, passages that you can find um, in the Bible that are similar to this, carry the same concept. Uh, in verse 5, the Bible says, You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house. Well, what is a spiritual house? A spiritual house is a temple. A holy priesthood, where do priests work? They work in the temple to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And so the Bible talks about his people, his church, mm. as being a temple, and each one of us as being a different stone in that temple, and the chief cornerstone of that temple being Jesus Christ himself. And so the temple is God's church. So here's the first thing that we're going to find is that the man of sin, the Antichrist, is going to be in God's church. Let's not go looking outside of it. Let's not go and looking at you know pagan religions or you know uh, Islam or Hinduism, Buddhism, you know terror, any any any, the, any, of the, any of the big uh, non non Christian religions that are out there. The Bible says that no, the Antichrist will be within the Christian religion. Mm. All right, going back to the man of sin over here and looking at the next one here, the Bible says that this particular, the man of sin, the uh, man of lawlessness, will call himself God. In other words, he will blaspheme. The Bible says that anybody who calls themselves God is blaspheming. And in Revelation chapter 13, and here's where you find your connection to the Antichrist, and verse 5 it says, There was given him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and powers given unto him to continue 42 months. And so here we have the uh, the Antichrist, the little horn, the beast of Revelation chapter 13, speaking blasphemies, speaking great things against God. You can find the same thing in Daniel chapter 7 where the little horn speaks blasphemy and has boasting words. And the Bible defines that as claiming to be God. And finally, you find that the Antichrist, the man of sin right here uh, in Second Thessalonians, is referred to as the son of perdition. That is a reference to, uh, to, to Judas. Of course, Judas was part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And so you're going to find that the Antichrist is going to be at the very center of Christianity, the one who looks like they are doing all the good things and Helping the poor. Mm. This is the man of sin is another way of describing the man of lawlessness is another name for the Antichrist of Bible prophecy. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.